Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Getting ready to represent Christ to your world today. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Welcome to the second hour of Mornings with Carmen on this 7th of September. A call to prayer today. We have prayed um, the conclusion of the first hour for listener Sue and her family, the loss of her nephew to suicide this past Thursday. This is Suicide Awareness Month, Suicide Prevention Week. Want to be quick to remind us all to have the National Suicide Prevention Hotline number in our phones. It is 1-800-273-8255. Other prayer concerns this morning. Topping my list, I am praying for the people of Queens, New York, um, who are dealing with the horrific reality of members of their community, members of their families having been um, trapped in illegal basement apartments um, and drowning there. Um, after massive flooding in the region, families and communities dealing with the same or similar issues in New Jersey where many people lost their lives in flash floods in their vehicles. People in Louisiana, also in the wake of Hurricane Ida, just lots of people for whom we need to be praying today in terms of literally digging out from such horrific devastation in their homes and in their communities. Three new wildfires have erupted as firefighters have finally been able to curtail the massive Caldor fire in California. Um, But fires continue to rage across the northwestern uh, part of the United States. Tim Keller, pastor, author, and friend of this show, uh, posted an update on Sunday on his battle with pancreatic cancer. I want to share that with you. He says on August the 23rd, doctors discovered a cancerous lump underneath a previous surgical scar. Um, And so they have increased his chemotherapy to previous levels. He notes, quote, Pancreatic cancer is able to learn how to evade medication. So it's only God's power that we look to for complete healing. He then adds, please do pray that I will be able to fulfill my teaching and other obligations and that the neuropathy and other side effects will be minimal while the medication will be effective against the cancer and that we will run the race God has set before us with joy. So let's um, let's be praying. Um, let's be praying today with Tim. Um, for this. And then I have a praise report for you. Really good news update from retired Lieutenant General John Bradley, who joined us on Friday. He also joined us um, at the end of at the end of August. You will recognize him as the Lieutenant General of the Air Force, who was responsible for reserve forces throughout Afghanistan until 2008 when he retired. He has continued to serve there through, um, through the foundation, uh, which bears the name of the precious child who was uh, the, was the first an inspiration um, for the building of schools there, specifically for girls. So that's the Lamia Foundation. He shared with us on Friday there were these two children who were wounded at the Abbey Gate, that their mother had died from her injuries, and that their 14-year-old brother had carried their father to the hospital, leaving them behind at the gate by themselves, both injured. A neighbor, whom we all presumed was an adult, picked them up and ran toward the American Marines who were manning what was left of the gate, 
When they saw the injured children, they allowed the three to pass into the U.S. military's medical tent where they um, were evaluated and put on a C-17 that left for Ramstead Air Force Base in Germany where they um, were treated for their injuries and stabilized. And then on Friday, John texted me that they were on another Air Force flight on their way to the United States of America. And so they are um, at Walter Reed Hospital in the D.C. area, um, and they have been reunited with an aunt who lives in Alexandria, Virginia, and those two little kids will be here. And the neighbor will come to find out he's just 16, and he's here now too. John thanked all of us for our prayers and asked that we would continue praying for the nearly 500 others that he and the Lamia Foundation are working to still extract from Afghanistan. So let us be prayerful this morning, even as we tend to the headline news of the day. Next up, Justin Gibbony will be here from the AND campaign. We'll be right back. All right, joining us again today, Justin Gibney. You can find him at andcampaign.org. And you ought to, if you're not already listening to the Church Politics Podcast, I uh, encourage you to do so. Um, Justin, good morning and welcome back. Good morning, Carmen. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Give us a reminder about and an update on the Ahmad Arbery case in Georgia. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that happened was the uh, Brunswick District Attorney, Jackie Johnson, who was initially over the case, uh, has been indicted on a felony count of violating her oath of office and a misdemeanor count of uh, hindering a law enforcement officer. Uh, and this indictment comes down after an investigation by Georgia's Republican. So this isn't a partisan issue, uh, our Republican Attorney General. And really what happened was there are huge questions behind the delay in prosecution. So uh, when McMichael, after the murder happened, McMichael calls her personal cell phone, then it takes about two months for anything to happen. And that only happened after the video was leaked to the uh, Georgia attorney general. And so basically what they're saying is she showed favoritism to McMichael, who was actually an investigator in her office. Uh, she did things for him that she would not have done under no normal circumstances, which is uh, uh, they're saying is a violation of her oath of office. All right. And just uh, for those of you who are listening, just a reminder that this um, that this case was the murder of uh, a young black man who was out for a run um, and who Greg and Travis McMichael uh, assumed was a burglar and shot after pursuing him um, in a truck um, as he was running through a neighborhood. I mean, it's just, a, it's, it's a horrific story. It is, um, this is, seems to be a righteous step forward uh, with this former prosecutor being indicted for misconduct um, following his death. So um, anything else that you want to say there, Justin, before we, we pivot to, um, to other subjects? Just, you know, I think everyone's hoping that justice is served. Uh, as you said, this comes after a thorough investigation, and, and hopefully we can move forward in a better way from here on. Absolutely. Um, all right. So I, um, I have a, a couple of, of headlines that I read and thought to myself, I want to talk with Justin about that. Because of the language and because of the time that has passed um, 
in in relationship to some of these things. And at, at one level, Hillary Clinton's speech about that included, uh, you know, using the term deplorable, not as an adjective, but as a noun, like actually calling people deplorables. Um, it seems like, you know, that is water under the bridge. That's a long time ago, except that the Washington Post has um, recently published an article that makes it suggest that not only was she right and righteous to do so, but that, you know, suggesting that it was only half of the people who supported Trump was, you know, an underestimation, uh, suggesting that everybody who voted for Donald Trump are actually deplorables. Talk with me about the use of this kind of language when we talk about each other and how this is not helpful going forward. Yeah. Um, you know, you would hope that this would be obvious to a lot of people. And it's really unfortunate that uh, the Washington Post would double down on those comments, especially for Christians. We always have to observe the human dignity of everyone of our neighbors, even those who take different positions than we do. Even if we think those positions or those votes are harmful to us, to label a whole group of people uh, with different testimonies, different philosophies, all these other things, different experiences, deplorable. And to do that in a presidential race is just unacceptable. Um, and, you know, it, it seemed to be a consensus that that was something that shouldn't have been said for a while. And now we see that folks are popping up and say, you know what? She was actually right about this, and it, and it's proving to be true. It, it just kills our discourse because you can't have a real conversation with people who you think are deplorable. Uh, you can't be constructive and actually have any respect uh, from from that point. And you know, she said it. A lot of us uh, say it indirectly or implicitly, and it just needs to stop. Uh, we we need to be able to disagree without dehumanizing or um, kind of putting our characterizing our opponents as as not being worthy of, of a conversation. It's all about contempt, and we can't do politics in a democracy with contempt. I heard your um, church politics podcast um, recently in the conversation about the use of Scripture, the, the way politicians use Scripture and the use of Scripture by politicians. Could we talk about that when we come back from the break? Let's do it. All right. That's up next. You're with Justin Gibney. You can find him at andcampaign.org. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with Justin Gibney, you can find him at andcampaign.org. All right. So, Justin, I, like you, heard the president of the United States misuse and misapply uh, a uh, a passage of scripture. I addressed it um, straight out here the following morning, um, but I didn't do so, I, I think, nearly with the time to reflect that that you had before um, having your conversation on your podcast about it. So tell people, remind people what happened in terms of the use of the president, the, the president's reference to and use of a passage of scripture from Isaiah, why that passage matters so much to you. And then, you know, your sense that really politicians shouldn't be publicly using Scripture at this point in our uh, in our national discourse. Yeah. So uh, President Biden was talking about the Afghanistan withdrawal and just everything going on with that. And he quoted Isaiah 6, 8, uh, which is basically Isaiah receiving his commission and, and, and saying, send me, you know, I'll go. A uh, very pow powerful moment. Uh, because Isaiah, I mean, if you read it, Isaiah didn't really e exactly know what he was getting into, but he was being faithful to God. Unfortunately, I think um, President Biden used it 
misused it uh, to say that the the troops were in that same position saying, send me. And they were, you know, they were, he was kind of using it to bolster his position. And I think it was uh, used out of context. Uh, and so really what I was saying is I was wondering out loud whether there's any benefit to politicians quoting scripture or even talking a whole lot about particularly being Christian and all that. What value does it bring to the conversation? I think we saw President Trump misuse scripture uh, as well. And my point was that I know, you know, I don't really get anything out of a politician quoting scripture because it's often misused or used just as a way to connect with certain groups without really bringing the substance of the faith or the substance of that scripture uh, to bear. Uh, and so I, I was just saying that I don't see a lot of value in that anymore, especially with all the misuse. And you um, you actually use that Isaiah 6, 8 verse um you know, in in terms of your own sense of call, I mean, there it, there is legitimate application of this verse to the call of an individual into um, particularly prophetic speech, mm-hmm. uh, exhortation in the culture today. Um, and so there are, you know, I don't want you guys to mishear us when Justin and I are saying, hey, there are appropriate ways to apply the truths of Scripture to the realities of life today. Um, this was not one of those in terms of the president's use and application of this verse. Um, and one of the things that you said in in the podcast, and again, the Church Politics podcast is absolutely worth your listening to, tuning into. Um, one of the things that you said, Justin, that stood out to me was just this acknowledgement that for the United States of America, it's the president, it's the commander in chief who sends people into, you know, onto foreign fields and into battle. It's not expressly God. And I think that's an important distinction to draw as a, I mean, we are a secular country in that sense. We don't, we, we don't have a theocracy and we don't view everything that we do at every turn as God ordained and God directed. Yeah, I mean, especially if you look at this particular instance, I, I don't think you want to put God into those kind of mistakes that, that have been made. Uh, and so, Uh, to say that it's almost a a form of Christian nationalism to say every decision that's made from the president, from the Oval Office or from government uh, is approved by God. And so uh, I would not say that someone getting sent off to war and receiving orders from the president or Uncle Sam, however you want to put it, is the same as Isaiah or even Christians today receiving a commission from God to serve him and to do ministry. Very different Uh, I I see how it could be powerful when used the other way, but it's still a misuse. And I think that's that's part of the problem. Yeah, absolutely. Um, All right. um, And then I want to talk with you about the comments that have been made by a sitting member of the U.S. Congress. He is from North Carolina. Most of our listeners probably not familiar with him. Um, He is the youngest member of Congress, and he has said something. What he has said is, in fact, deplorable. Um, and so I want you to um, share with people what has happened and help us understand who Madison Cawthorn is and what he, you know, why what he has said is so dangerous. Yeah, Madison Cawthorn is, as you said, a, a young um, congressman uh, from North Carolina, and he has an interesting situation. I mean, he was paralyzed in a car accident maybe six years ago or something like that, uh, won a race that many didn't expect him to win, um, got a Trump endorsement, and unfortunately, has been somewhat reckless with his words. Uh, And so he was 
uh, at a camp. Not I don't even know it was a campaign, but he was talking to to voters about July sixth uh, and said a lot of things that just just shouldn't been stated, including that uh, if our voting system isn't changed, that there will be bloodshed. Um, and that he would hate, you know, basically to to have to pick up arms against uh, other Americans, based really on what a lot of people would call the big lie from Trump. He basically alludes to potentially shooting other uh, Americans. Uh, just reckless, irresponsible things like that should not come out of the mouth of a civic servant, of a uh, someone who's supposed to be a leader within their community. It is so dangerous to say if a vote doesn't go my way or if a policy doesn't go up my way, you know, we as a group may be forced to pick up arms against other Americans. I think everybody should be calling that out. And I think it shows just a, a lack of fitness uh, for office, to be honest. I will. Um, so sometimes we say, Justin, I uh, you know from folks maybe on the uh, on the right, I'll just categorize it that way. Um, you know, gosh, uh, the you know. The, the quiet things are being said in public. Um, I feel like, and we say that about people on the left, like this, I mean, there's also all kinds of things that all of a sudden, you're, things that we know have been said in private um, are now being said in public. Uh, I actually, I don't know if people are aware that is what's going on here. This guy's actually just saying in public what is being said in private in many places. And and I, I want to surface that and I want to say out loud and in public, that's not OK. It's not OK to be um, in private conversation saying, oh, well, we'll just, you know, we'll pick up arms and we'll head for the southern border ourselves. No, no, it's not OK. It's not OK for a civil servant to say, I can imagine a circumstance in which I would take up arms against my fellow Americans. No, no, we're not that we're not. That's not in our hearts that's not in that's not who we are and that's not what we're going to do and certainly for Christians this is not the conversation um to ever be having and we got to be the people who instead stand up and say no no absolutely not under no circumstances are we doing that i couldn't agree more and and this is where again we have to stand up especially Christians to say you know what i disagree with those guys over there but you will not even uh imply that it's worth picking up arms over. Get a better uh, argument. Be ready to debate. We're not going there, and and that's as you as you mentioned, just irresponsible. Yeah, absolutely. Justin, as always, um, thank you so much for joining us. You guys can find Justin and his podcast at andcampaign.org. Church Politics Podcast. Check it out. Thanks, brother. Take care. You too. We'll be right back. Okay, or just text the word book to 877-933-2484. We're giving away copies of Matthew Sleeth's book today. Yep. Uh, So to enter the drawing for the copies we have here in studio of the book that John Stone Street just talked about and the conversation we just had um, with Matthew Sleeth, you can text the word book to 877-933-2484. That uh, conversation will be posted a little bit later today. It was in the first hour of today's program. Next up, we've got Tim Chowies. Uh, you know Tim. He's a shepherd of shepherds. He's a blogger. He's an author. He's a brother in Christ. He's a husband. He's a dad. He's a man who's acquainted with grief. The Chowies family is walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Um, their son, Nick, died um, almost a year ago now, November 3rd, 2020. 
Tim's actually joining us to talk about his new book. It's a devotional called Knowing and Enjoying God. But yeah, we're going to talk about where his family is in the Valley of the Shadow as well. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. How do we explain our stubborn hearts and conniving ways? How do we explain Auschwitz, human trafficking, abuse? If I were the devil, I'd want you to feel attacked by an indefinable force. If I were the devil, I'd keep my name out of it. But God doesn't let the devil get away with this. He tells us his name, splitter, a divider, a wedge driver. Don't fault the plunging economy or a raging dictator for your anxiety. They are simply tools in Satan's toolkit. We can't understand God's narrative without understanding Satan's strategy. Scripture says the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. God calls the devil by name and promises to defeat him. Be alert to the devil and be assured his days are numbered. This is Max Lucado. This is amazing Tim Challies is here. Um, you know him. You know him as a blogger and a book reviewer, a shepherd of shepherds. He's here to talk with us about his brand new book. It's a devotional, Knowing and Enjoying God. Tim, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So um, today's the book launch day. Just tell people who, you know, tell the people who've never written a book, what does a book launch day feel like? The day that it's like publicly available and put into people's hands. <laughs> yeah, it feels good. Uh, it sort of creeps up on you, though. Um, I've often gotten the copies in my hands two or three or four months earlier. And so I've sort of gotten used to having it. But no, it's always a day of excitement. Right. Absolutely. So um, let's talk about it. Let's talk about grace. Let's talk about the means of grace um, for people not even maybe familiar with that idea or that term, when we say the means of grace, what are we talking about? And how how are the means maybe dif differentiated from the ends of grace? Yeah, good question. So uh, I think as, as Christians, we all acknowledge that God has grace and we need grace. And the means of grace are the means through which God gets his grace from him to us, you might say. And so some people would uh, speak of spiritual disciplines or something along those lines, uh, but really means of grace are how God conveys his grace to us. You, there might, you might say they're the channels through which God's grace flows from him to us. And in terms of the ends and the means, the, the means of grace are the way um, God conveys his grace to us. The ends are, are um, well, what we do with that grace, how we live out that grace in our lives. Um, I think that the, you know, when we talk about being maybe a conduit or a, or a channel of God's grace or an instrument of God's grace, we kind of wonder, okay, how is it that maybe God uses me? Um, and when we talk about that, we're more talking about the ends than we are talking about the means. So when we back up and talk about the means of grace, we're talking again, again about the way the grace of God is flowing from God into our lives. And so talk about the relationship between that and these, what we might have traditionally called spiritual disciplines. Sure. So again, we, we need grace. We are absolutely dependent upon God's grace to 
be saved and we are absolutely dependent upon God's means to be sanctified. And of course, we are sinful, rebellious people at heart. And so what we like to do is we want to be the ones who determine how God will speak to us, how God will communicate to us, the ways through which his grace will flow. So you might talk to somebody who says, Eastern style meditation, you know, emptying my mind before the void or before the universe. That's how I think I receive grace. And we look at scripture and say, no, God speaks as to how we should expect his grace to be conveyed from him to us. And um, we, we understand that that's through scripture. Primarily, God speaks through scripture. That's how we're saved by hearing the gospel in scripture. That's how we come alive to righteousness. Um, through prayer, we communicate with God. And then through the local church, through the means that God has dispensed to the local church. Church. These are the primary ways through which God speaks to us. God conveys his grace to us. I think that's so helpful. Um, Tim, when you think about the things that the church needs most today, um, is there is there one of these means of grace that you just say to yourself, this is the one that the church really needs to be accessing in terms of what God is offering and we have been resisting receiving? Mm-hmm. Yes and no, and here's why. I've been doing a lot of reading in history over the last year or so, just reading authors from the 1800s, 1600s, and so on. And I would have thought there are certain things that are specific to our time, but I look back to that age and I find them saying the exact same stuff. Why don't God's people pray? Why aren't we in Scripture more? Why is life so busy? I was reading an author from the 1800s who was saying, why do we need express trains? Why do we need the telegraph? We have just accelerated <laughs> life to an unsustainable pace. And I think, my friend, if you could just see Twitter, it would it would blow your mind. So um, I think we are always responding to what's going on in the world around us, always tempted to set aside these precious means and to, uh, to be too distracted to really love God, know God, and enjoy God through the means he's given. All right. I like that. Love God, know God. Oh, wait. Do it again. Say them again. I might have misquoted <laughs> well, you. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Love God, know know God, and enjoy God. And that's really what the means of grace are about. They're not just disciplines we do by rote in order to tick off some box or in order to make God love us. God already loves us if we're in Christ. And so these means are the way by which we come to know him better and truly to enjoy him as a friend, as someone with whom we have a real living relationship. All right, we're talking with Tim Challies. We're talking about his brand new book, Knowing and Enjoying God. It's a devotional. It's a collection of quotes along with some really stunning photography um, and devotions uh, from Tim. It'll challenge you to cultivate your consistent spiritual habits, uh, spiritual disciplines in our life, these means of grace. If you are interested in entering the drawing for the copy or for the copies that we have to give away today, just text the word book to 877-933-2484. Um, Tim blogs regularly at chalies.com. That's C-H-A-L-L-I-E-S dot com. Um, and if you're not already um, getting getting what he is offering on a day-to-day basis, let me encourage you to consider doing so. It is, um, it's helpful. It's fruitful. It's always very, very faithful. Um, Tim, when you think about when you think about the book that you've written and you think about the devotional life of the believer, how do we resist making an idol out of practices? You know, it, it, like as if I do these things, if I keep my, if I do my quiet time, if I check off these boxes, then that is my, that, that is not just a relationship with God or a means to a relationship with God. It, it becomes my God. How do I resist that? 
You resist that by just focusing on the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that we are already accepted by God. God already loves us. He has entered into a relationship with us. He loves us. He truly loves us. And so we're not doing these things to impress God. He's already impressed because of what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf. We're not, we're not reading and praying and go to church so God will love us more. He already loves us fully and completely. And so we're doing these things out of the joy of already being loved by God. We're doing these things so we can relate to God. This is a God who, who we can truly know as a friend knows a friend. What a joy it is to enter into these means through which God speaks to us. We speak to God and we have a real relationship with him. All right, we're talking with Tim Challies. Um, we're going to return to this conversation in just a moment. We're going to talk about the one who walks with us and talks with us, um, even as a friend. So that uh, conversation is up next. If you'd like to enter the drawing for the copies of Knowing and Enjoying God by Tim Challies that we have to give away in studio today, just text the word book to 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. Continuing our conversation with Tim Challies, most recently author of Knowing and Enjoying God, but also author every single day um, at his website where he engages with um, all of us all the time. Excellent book reviews there, great blogs. Um, you can find him at Challies, C-H-A-L-L-I-E-S dot com. Um, Tim, um, let's let's dig back just for a moment into uh, into this idea that God not God doesn't just see us. Um, God truly loves us. Like we are not doing these things to gain God's attention nor to gain God's affection, but that God really does desire to be known. Um, talk, talk with us about that because I think there, I think that's lost on a lot of people today. And it may be lost on a lot of people because we don't focus enough on the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then um, the, the gospel, which frees us from performance, but then also it comes so naturally to us to want to perform in order to be loved, to want to do in order to have somebody love us. And we think that if I don't do all the right things, how could that person love me anymore? And yet God does love us. He's um, initiated this wonderful relationship with us. He's brought us into his kingdom. He truly loves us and could not love us more. And not only that, God also likes us. It's not like he loves us in this abstract sense, but he's still waiting for us to do something so he'll actually um, be attached to us and re or really feel something for us. But God really loves us and truly likes us and wants to enjoy us just as we enjoy him. So it really is a true relationship we have with God, with all the marks of a relationship. So I'll just confess, when I think of, you know, sort of the, the A-list of people who are not just thinking, but thinking in public about the things of the faith and sharing their thoughts with the rest of us, like, you're on that list. So I find myself wondering, as a person who reviews books and talks a lot about, you know, the things that other people are saying about the faith and the things of the faith, is there is there a book reviewer out there? Is there somebody out there who you're kind of waiting, um, you're looking forward to what they have to say about your book? <laughs> um, sure. I mean, the, the people I most look to um, to evaluate books are 
people who just love to read. Um, there's no, I don't know, big names or anything out there that um, I really look up to as much as people who are in the, the nitty gritty of life, people who are living just as you and I are, just going through joys and sorrows and the ups and downs of life and just needing some encouragement and needing truth. We, we just need to keep filling our minds with truth. We don't know what the Lord's going to bring our way. We don't know how providence will direct, but having our minds filled with truth um, knowing how to relate to God, knowing who God is, that's just so important. So uh, the people I most want to hear from and look forward to hearing from are people who just need to know who God is and um, what, what, perhaps what he's up to as um, they live out their lives and, and circumstances change, providence changes, and so on. All right, that is a great answer. That means that if you're listening right now and you want to read and then review Tim's book, um, you should text in. You should text... Uh, you should text the word book to 877-933-2484 because we have copies to give away and we'd love to give them to people who love to read and want to fill their minds with truth. And, um, you know, and then we trust the children around and post a review because that's that's kind of the, the way that the author gets feedback about how their work is affecting real people um, in real time and in real life. Tim, if you're willing, I'd like to just get personal for um, for a moment here. I read your July 26th post I miss my son today. Um, I'm noting that November the 3rd is not that far away. Um, For folks who don't know, um, Tim and his family lost their son, Nick, um, on November 3rd of 2020. Maybe just tell us where you are um, in that journey through the valley of the shadow of death. Yeah, thank you for asking. So for those who don't know, on November 3rd of last year, my son, who was a student, a seminary student, and uh, just died very, very suddenly of an undiagnosed condition. And obviously that was just a huge, huge shock to us. And um, yeah, we have been in deep grief for um, all this time, really. But uh, the Lord has been very kind to us and has really um, extended his mercy and his grace to us in so many ways. And as often as not, it's been through his people. You know, we hear about the church being the body of Christ. And um, you come to realize in your deep sorrows that Christ may not put his arms around my neck and hug me, but his people will. And that's every bit as good. And um, God's people will come and minister truth. And, you know, the Holy Spirit will be operating within, drawing us to truth and reminding us of the things we've learned. And Um, I've become more passionate than ever about the need to arm ourselves with truth, with what's true about God, what's true about us. So when tragedy strikes, as it does for all of us, we'll have something to fall back on, something to help interpret it. So my family's doing well. Um, Again, thanks for asking. We're heading toward the one-year anniversary, which we expect will be very difficult. But we also expect we'll see more of God's grace in that moment and are anticipating that. Yeah, I thank you. Thank you for your willingness to share. Um, thank you for your authenticity. Um, you know, as you have noted, none of us knows what's ahead. I mean, we don't know what's ahead in this day. Um, we do know what's ahead in eternity. And I think that the living hope, um, Tim, so many people, they lack a substantial living hope. And so, you know, thank you for the ways that you are speaking to that topic and encouraging us in that direction. You know, if we know God for who God really is, and, you know, as your title of your book would say, but also the first question of the Westminster Confession of Faith would affirm, right? Knowing God means I'm going to enjoy God. And 
and to enjoy God is to live in a fullness in this life, but also with a substantial hope of the life to come. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much so. And when you know God and something happens that you don't understand, you don't blame God. Um, knowing him, you understand who he is. You know his character. You know, like we've been saying, that he's for you, that he loves you and likes you. So when when tragedy comes along, when things when things strike your life that you don't understand, you, you have a, a framework to fit that into with a God who's loving, not a God who's vindictive. So God hasn't done anything that he doesn't have the right to do. God hasn't done anything that isn't in some way better than than the opposite. He hasn't done something that's outside of his promises that all things work for good. And um, so coming to know God as he is and truly loving him for as he is is so, so important. And then as you said, he does give us such beautiful hope for the future, that that time and that place where all tears will be dried by God's own hand. Uh, what a thing to look forward to. We we endure our sorrows for a time, but we know that just over the horizon is a much better day to come. And oh, what a, what a longing we have for that day. Yeah, and the... Um... <clears throat> the draw of heaven becomes more substantial as more people we know and love uh, in, inhabit it. So I, I completely recognize that as well. Um, Tim, as a as a person who loves to read, um, what are you reading? Uh, what's on your reading list right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so when when tragedy struck my life, I found myself going back in time to a day where that was very common. So for today, it's quite unusual for someone to lose a child. Uh, we know far more people who have not experienced that than people who have. Um, so I found myself going back in time when that was very normal and reading some of those authors from the Puritan era up through the devotional writers of the 1800s and just found myself so warmed and encouraged to to spend time with friends, uh, people who have become friends, even though they've long since gone to heaven. Um, they've become friends who have really encouraged me and mentored me. So people like J.R. Miller and F.B. Meyer and others, Theodore Kyler, who are um, devotional writers from that era, have been just a huge, huge blessing and encouragement to me. I love that. Thank you so much. I um, I think that our distance from actual, like the actual dying, the death, um, mm-hmm. the, the way that we have sanitized it and removed even the dying process in most cases, the overwhelming number of cases from our home. Um, I, I think that there's something definitely for each of us to learn about reconnecting with the normalcy of death. Like it's not abnormal to die. It's the most normal thing that human beings do at some level. It's, it's abnormal to live uh, in fullness of life. Right. Yeah. Measured across the the entire history of the Christian church, which, you know, 2000 years of history, there are so many people who have experienced such tragedy, the likes of which we do regard as quite unusual. You know, we we know we're all going to die at some point, but most of us assume we'll, we'll serve out our 80 years or more today and die at a ripe old age surrounded by our family. So when that doesn't happen, we do regard it now as strange, as unusual. But as we orient ourselves within the full sweep of Christian history with all of our brothers and sisters across time, we find that um, much deeper losses and uh, much younger losses really are very normal. And we can find friends there, f- uh, friends in history who can really mentor us through the years. Mm, I love that. Tim Challies, thank you so much. Blessings on you on this book launch day. Um, Knowing and Enjoying God is the book. You can find Tim every day at challies.com. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for your personal reflections as well as, um, you know, as well as the wonderful devotional book. We really appreciate it. Thank you very much. We'll be right back. 
All right, enjoying um, all of the things that you're texting me. Appreciate that. Appreciate the uh, picture of the uh, of the homemade sign. Jesus the Carpenter. Appreciate that, Master Carpenter. Um, love it when you guys uh, text me any any and all kinds of things at 877-933-2484. It is a joy. Let me remind you, you can record your faith story there for us in anticipation of fall share, which starts next Monday. Is that right, Paul? Next Monday? That, that is right? correct, yes. Next that Monday. sounds correct. Mm-hmm. So that means that next Tuesday, Redemption Muffins. I don't exactly know how we're giving them away yet, but we will be giving them away in the parking lot of Faith Radio. I will have more on that as I learn more. How does that sound? Super duper fun. All right. um, Share with us. We love to hear from you. You can text us. You can email us, Carmen at MyFaithRadio.com. You can visit with us uh, on the Faith line at 877-933-2484. You can also leave your prayer request there as well. We got got all kinds of things. One-stop shopping at MyFaithRadio.com. Have a great day. God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.